Hi friends, I'm Kara Kay. And I'm Elizabeth. And this is the Asking for a Friend podcast. A show for the woman who has questions about herself, the church, and the world. We are providing a safe space to engage in tough topics. But don't worry, we know you're only asking for a friend. All right, guys. Well, we actually have a special guest joining us today. Um, Her name is Ashley Abercrombie, and she is the author of the book, Rise of the Truth Teller. Now, we are excited because we're going to give away a copy of her book. And after you hear from her, you definitely are going to want to get a copy of this book because it's incredible. So be sure and stick around to the end of the episode, and we will share all the details of how to um, enter to win a copy of her book, Rise of the Truth Teller. Now we're going to hear from a quick sponsor and get into our conversation with Ashley. It is so easy for us to walk into parenting knowing exactly what we think we will and will not do. We typically take our own experiences and create in our minds the perfect parenting scenario. And that's exactly what we set out to achieve. Then we actually begin raising our children and realize every child is completely different and nothing like we expected. I have a new book coming out March 1st called Together, A Journal for Mom and Me, a guided experience connecting moms and kids to God and each other. This journal provides an inviting place for moms and kids to talk about both the important stuff and the everyday stuff, whether it's your favorite vacations or Bible verses. This unique journal gives families space to learn about each other and presents opportunities for growth in their relationships with each other and God. The journal is intended for kids eight to 12, really creating a sweet relationship between your kids before they enter the teen years. Pre-order your journal now through Amazon and the book releases March 1st, wherever books are sold. All right, guys, we are so excited. This week, we have a special guest with us. We are joined by Ashley Abercrombie, who is the author of the book, Rise of the Truth Teller. And she has such an incredible story that she's going to share with us today. Now, as you know, by now, each week on our show, we tackle a heavy question and help you walk through it. So today we are focusing on the question, how can I love broken people? We all have people in our lives that have been through really hard things, and we just want to know how to love them well. And, you know, maybe the person that is feeling a little broken today is you, and you just want to learn to love yourself a little bit better through, you know, the hardships that you face. So we are so excited to dive in today and hear from Ashley. Hey, Ashley, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm so happy to be here with you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Well, we thought that we would start just by letting you kind of introduce yourself and just share your story with us. And then we'll kind of interject along the way. Okay. That sounds awesome. And I really love this question that you guys are asking about how do you love broken people, whether it's us trying to love ourselves or us trying to love difficult people in our lives or perhaps overcome some issues because that is so my story. And I resonate very deeply with that question. And one of the most empowering things that I ever realized is that I don't have to lie to live, (laughs) that I don't have to wear a mask confidently all the time, and that it's okay to admit that I'm not perfect and that we are actually all broken people. And the more I acknowledged my own brokenness, the better I was able to relate to others and the less pressure I put on other people to also be perfect with me. And so I just really, really love that you're tackling this question because I think if we can grab a hold of the fact that we don't have to be perfect, <laughs> it, it is yep, a game changer. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're all broken. And so yes. we need to learn how to 
love people who are just like us. We tend to give ourselves more grace, I think, than we give other people sometimes. So it's good. It's good to hear your experience and and how you would have wished people could love you better and and how we can love others. Yes. Well, I was born and raised in the Southeast in North Carolina in a beautiful small town. It had like 14,000 people in it. So tiny (laughs) and really, really loved that because I had a wonderful opportunity to connect with neighbors. We were in safety all the time. We we really, really knew each other. And at the same time, I also felt like nobody knew me at all. And so I grew up wearing a mask and hiding hard things and not knowing how to operate in reciprocity. So I was one of those people that everybody came to for advice or came to for wisdom or came to for help. And I never let my guard down to say, you know what, I also have needs and I am really struggling and I don't know how to deal with this big thing in front of me. And so when I went off to college at a very young age, of 18. Um, I just got tired of pretending and performing. I got tired of being the good girl. I got tired of always being teacher's pet. And I began to act out because I didn't know what else to do. And because I didn't know how to share my pain in a healthy way, I began to deal with it in unhealthy ways. And so for me, that looked like drinking and looks like um, abusive alcohol. And I developed an eating disorder um, in my freshman year of college. And that perpetuated, got stronger and stronger. I was also an athlete. I had an academic scholarship. So the pressure was really, really mounting. And in my hometown, things were kind of coming unraveled. My parents got divorced after 23 years of marriage. And it seems like as a grown person, you'd be able to handle that a little bit better. But the truth was, it was really, really hard for me. And I can remember going off to school and coming back and my parents had already sold our house. And so my whole world was changing. And at the same time, I didn't have that sort of small town support and the regular people that were in my life. And so Um, My sophomore year of college, kept transitioning, kept trucking through with addiction and trying to deal with life and trying to act like I was okay. And then my sophomore year in college, I was um, sexually assaulted and raped by uh, a person on campus that I knew. I didn't know him well, but we were acquaintances. And it was one of those times in my life where I was like, what, how did this happen? I had been drinking. So there was a lot that goes along with that as a female who's been assaulted, but was also drinking. There's a lot of fault that I put on myself for that. Mm -hmm. Um, And because I had been so good at wearing a mask, I literally woke up the next morning and went to work as if nothing had happened to me and just kept trucking. I don't know if you guys can relate to that, but that idea of like, if I just keep going and maybe if I don't stop, I'll never have to acknowledge that. I can just leave it buried where I want it to stay and never, ever actually deal with it. Yeah. And then I made the the decision to go across the country. I was like, I got to get out of here. (laughs) So I moved 3000 miles to Los Angeles, but right before I moved, um, found out I was pregnant and without thinking, just made an, uh, an appointment at an abortion clinic. And the next morning had an abortion and then moved literally less than a week later, 3000 miles across the country. And I really thought like, man, if I can just leave it all behind me, it'll go away. And I Mm -hmm. thought if I showed up in a town where I didn't know anybody else, some big city where where I could sort of live anonymously, I thought this will be great. I can heal. There's no standard of perfection over me. There's no other people's standards over me. There's no personal standards over me because nobody knows me here. But unfortunately, what I realized is that everywhere you go, there you are. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You cannot escape yourself. And so it only took a matter of months before things started unraveling again. And kind of the catalyst, um, for healing and breakthrough is actually meeting a really beautiful group of people who suspended their judgment. And even though I was wild and crazy and partied and drank all the time, they were able to just ask me for coffee and go to dinner with me without, again, without judging me. And that's kind of set me up to receive love in my life and receive God's love in my life. Cause I realized I didn't have to be perfect to be loved. And I realized I, I could let the, the junk out of the closet and people wouldn't go, Ooh, yuck, put it back or Ooh, yuck. I can't be around you, but rather they loved me. And they also recognized that they had problems too. Yeah. So their capacity to live 
and reciprocal relationship really ministered to me and showed me that God is with us, whether we're broken or not. Um, and in fact, it's okay to be broken and it's okay to have a past and it's okay to have issues and problems and pain because that is actually the human experience. Yeah. Hey, can I ask you a quick question? Please. Um, going back a little bit, were you a believer? Like, did you grow up in the church or what was your faith like? That's a great question. So I actually was raised in um, a tiny Southern Baptist church uh, that was really beautiful, honestly. That was where I was baptized. I started going um, as a very young baby with my great-great-aunt Fairy. She was the only other Christian in my family, and she took me to church. And I left when I was 16 because really my only options for connection at that point were quilting in the women's ministry with all the (laughs) sweet grandmas (laughs) or or like serving in the kids' ministry. And neither one really appealed to me as a 16-year-old, you know? So um, I made the decision to go back to church in Los Angeles when I was 21, because that community that I just mentioned, they were all part of the same church and I, they didn't even invite me. I actually was like, I've never met believers who are this kind in my life. Can I please come to church with you? Oh my and that's giving my life back to the Lord um, in that faith community in Los Angeles. You know what? Some people might be like, that's modern day Babylon, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's where I found Jesus. That's awesome. <laughs> so I have a question for you. Um, it feels like a lot of people think because they are broken, they have a you know a tough past, they've made decisions that they struggle with, things like that. They feel like they are incapable of love. They feel like they're mm. incapable of actually finding healing and freedom. What do you say to that? How did you find healing and freedom in your journey when you had been through some rough hardships? Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the first steps that I tried to take was to break the silence on pain um, and suffering, because I think so much we're just trying to live and put it down and ignore it and act like it doesn't exist. And for me, one of the breakthroughs of shame, like getting through the wall of shame was to actually open my mouth and break the silence and share my story and get it out. And how this happened was there was a gal I had met in Los Angeles and we actually went through like a little church, you know, membership class or something together. And then we um, had started having dinners and meeting pretty regularly. And I really hadn't opened up to anyone. I hadn't shared my story with anyone in the city at the time. And she had called me and just said, Hey, uh, how are you? And I did what I always do. I'm like, fine, fine. How are you? And I launched into like 9,000 questions about her day so that I could just avoid talking about mine right? because uh, I loved avoiding reciprocity. And so um, she was like, okay, great. We hung up the phone and 10 minutes later, there was a knock on my door because she just was not buying my bull crap, you know? And yeah. so she, <laughs> she knocked on my door and as soon as I opened it and saw her standing there, I fell into the floor and just sobbed. And again, it was God, it was her showing me God's ministry of presence where I, she was just with me in my pain and she didn't try to advise me or fix me or get, offer me 10 steps to healing and, you know, five ways of breaking through addiction. She just sat with me in the floor and she cried. And I began to open up and tell her my story the last couple of years of hell that I had gone through. And as I did that, I experienced, you know, that the Lord is with us. And so I think breaking the silence and sharing your story in a safe place, you know, so that might start really small, which is how it started for me, one person. And then it grew um, from there. And now, now I have a book about it almost 20 years later. (laughs) So it takes time to to share your story broadly, but I think um, it's a good thing to speak stories because it, it eliminates shame and it connects us in a really powerful way in solidarity. We stand together, you know, and that's important for us to remember that we're not alone, that we're not the only ones who suffer. We're not the only ones who go through hard things. And that is how we're connected. It's like, we've gone through this thing and let's, let's keep moving together. We're going to see breakthrough on the other side of this. And that's important. Yeah. I'm hearing so much in your story of 
the community around you. Mm-hmm. When you talk about your healing and things that helped you, I keep hearing you say, you know, talk about people. And, yep. you know, I think sometimes we think, oh, it's going to be like, well, you know, I went to this counselor. I went to, you know, I did yoga. I did this thing. And all these mm-hmm. things were what helped me find healing. But mm-hmm. what I'm hearing from you is just finding safe spaces. Mm-hmm. So what would you say to somebody that struggles to find those safe spaces or even struggles to maybe open up because at some point we have to be willing to tell the truth, right? We really do. Yes. And I mean, I'm here for all of it. I'm here for group therapy, recovery. Yeah. I mean, I'm 16 years sober. I'm, I like yoga. Like I'm good with all of it. Right. right. Time, <laughs> you know, yo- my yoga instructor can come to my house with a casserole if somebody passes away in my family. Yeah. And you know, my, my pastor most likely doesn't know me personally enough that I can call it three o'clock in the morning and neither does my counselor. Right. So I feel like we actually need to build relationships with people who right. can show up for us and be representative of the deep abiding love of God, because we are not created to live this life alone and we are not created to be utterly dependent on one another, but God did set up this interdependence that he wants us to have on each other. And if we don't have that, we don't experience the fullness of God. So this whole, like, it's just me and God, we're going to muscle through it mm-hmm. is not real. It's, it doesn't work. It's not effective. We actually need to understand that we're interdependent on one another. And mm-hmm. so looking for safe space, I know that that's difficult. I started by creating safe space in myself. I began to read books by John um, Townsend and Henry Cloud, books like Safe People and Boundaries and Changes That Heal. And I began to learn like, wow, I'm actually not a safe person. And I personally started doing some hard work to recognize that and grow in integrity and grow in wholeness. Now, I'm not not talking about perfection because when I started building those reciprocal relationships, I still had a very long way to go in healing and I still do. Like it never ends. But at the same time, I started working on myself and then I began to open up to others who felt safe to me. And when I say safe, what I mean is people who are able to suspend judgment, people who don't always have advice for you, people who tend to see your potential, like who could you grow to be in God? People who affirm you, people who encourage you when you want to quit, like those are the people who are safe. People who aren't like, hey, there's a hard thing in your marriage, you should leave. You know, I'm not talking. And obviously, you know, there's things like abuse. We need to be very tender towards those things and what people might need to do in order to escape a a domestic violence situation. But apart from that, people who will encourage you to keep going when the road gets tough and keep going when you hit a bump in the road. I mean, those are the folks you want in your corner. And pay attention to the people who show up for you. You know, maybe there's a mom at drop off, you know, that she's always smiling at you. She always connects with you. Maybe try having a coffee with her, or maybe you're part of a book club and you just have a great connection with someone. Try having a a coffee with them. Same thing in the workplace. You know, I think we just have to keep our eyes open to people we can relate to and connect with. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, this is so good for me to hear. I'm currently meeting with someone who um, has had a really difficult life and um, just difficult family life. And, you know, she's made some really poor choices, but she's paying some high consequences for those choices. And I think what I've been trying to tell myself is don't try to fix her, just love her. Yeah. And, and like you're saying, like not judge her. So it's really, um, kind of affirming for me to hear of like the biggest impact for you was people loving you without judgment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all the, and I'm such a fixer, all those things you mentioned, like yoga or reading books, like I'm a huge, you know, book reader when I can't figure out a problem. Yeah. I think that's usually my go-to, but I love, you know, I feel like what I keep hearing and what Kara K mentioned is just to love people where they are. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
it really is so effective and it makes us it makes us feel connected and it also gives people agency to make their own choices you know and i think that's what's really powerful about presence yeah Yeah. well you have done an incredible amount of work as far as um getting to a healthier place in your life and so tell us what your life looks like now as you're currently walking in freedom after being in such a dark place and battling so many demons Yeah. So I um, have journeyed down the track of redemption. Again, I've been walking with Jesus for close to 20 years now, walking strong. And um, I have done many things in my life um, from pastoring to, um, you know, being an advocate in the justice space to now being an author. I've been writing for close to 20 years. I'm married now for um, almost nine years and have two little boys. So I have a two two and a half year old and a five year old. And so all that means is that I'm so tired. I need like 75 coffees a day. Amen. Amen. We feel you. We have nine kids between the two of us. So we we understand. (laughs) So you're like, be quiet, girl. You don't even know what you're talking about. Oh, no, no. No, That boy life is hard. Yep. It sure is. So, yeah. And again, it's not that I don't have struggles because I think that the lie we believe in sort of our westernized Christianity is that we can achieve this level of euphoria. You know, I write about this a lot in my book where it's like we're going to achieve the mountain of no issues, no problems, no right. pain. And, you know, if you study scripture, you see that nobody escaped pain and nobody escaped hardship and nobody escaped suffering, including our Savior. And so because of that, I think we have to eliminate the false ideal of like someday if I work hard enough and do all the right things and have the right formula, my life's just going to be awesome. Mm -hmm. Because even if you do that, somebody you love will be going through something hard. You cannot control what's happening in the lives around you. And so I think in the last 20 years, what I've tried to do is journey toward that end where it's like, God, come what may, I want to know joy and come what may, I want to know peace and come what may, I want to understand what you mean when you offer me real freedom. And I want to understand what freedom in Christ is, not freedom, the idealized version where I don't have any crap to deal with. (laughs) I really know my savior and remember that he's with me in everything. And that has been, you know, a guidepost for me. And I think that's what I've tried to develop deeply in my life is how do I just weather the things and keep going with Christ. And even, even if it's a threat of grace in some seasons, because I think we all know it is, um, I can grab hold of that thing and keep going, you know, and that's really important to me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have a sidebar question. Um, Mm -hmm. do you, do you know your Enneagram number? I do. Yes. What number are you? I'm an eight with a nine wing. Oh, okay. Well, you you were talking a lot about perfectionism earlier and I can relate to that so much because I'm an Enneagram one. And so that is my life is always like striving for perfection. And I have battled with that so much. And so freedom has been such a huge thing for me, you know, as I've read, you know, I have been in the church since I was born and, Mm -hmm. you know, I, but freedom was always one of those unattainable things for me. Mm -hmm. And, and I know that, and I've walked through hard things and as we all have, and I feel like it's such a struggle to find that freedom when you've been chasing, you know, perfectionism. And so Mm -hmm. I'm so encouraged by your story. Mm -hmm. And I know there's going to be people that are listening. They're like, okay, but I'm struggling to love myself Mm -hmm. because of where I am or the choices Mm -hmm. that I've made or the, just the things that life has brought on me. So how would you encourage someone to really love themselves after they have been through that? Maybe they've struggled like we have with just trying to be perfect and Mm -hmm. really struggling to find freedom. How would you encourage them? 
So I think the first thing I would say that was incredibly encouraging to me is when I began to understand all the cultural influences that were demanding perfection of me. Mm. And so the first one being gender, right? So as females, you know, like when I, even when I watch my husband or watch the wonderful men that are in my life, I'm like, they just do not, yes, they do deal with perfectionism, but at the same time, they just do not come up under it the same way women do. And we, we are told that we have to be able to keep our house perfect and also have a career and also, you know, be the best mom ever and never yell at them and make her own baby food. And like, you know, the list is just (laughs) endless for days. And I'm like, gosh, no one can measure up under that. And so I think, or if you're the only woman in the workplace in your department or in the boardroom, it's like, there's incredible pressure on you to perform and to get it right. Because you are representing all women everywhere. Right, and right. so I think if you understand kind of the cultural pressures, you can release yourself and go, you know what? That's actually not God's expectation of me. That is not God's standard of me. And so I do not have to hold that over me. So first one is um, culture. The next one could be familial pressure. So maybe growing up, you might've been in a household where there could have been someone who was an addict or someone who really struggled with addiction or whatever it might be. And so there was pressure on you there to be perfect. Because if you walked on eggshells and did everything right, then the, that maybe that person didn't get angry or maybe they didn't take their stuff out on you or maybe um, you were a good little girl. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important for us to recognize what is our familiar pressures. Maybe that was religious pressure for you. And in the church, nice girls are required and you weren't allowed to be wild and you weren't allowed to speak up and you weren't allowed you know, to pray or to worship expressively. And so that's another pressure that we take on and put on ourselves. And so when I began to understand that not all the pressure was coming from inside me, it actually offered me such sweet grace. It was like drinking water in a desert where I realized Mm -hmm. some of these things are just not my fault. And I understood that it just freed me up to go, wow, not only is this not my fault, but this is not what God requires of me. And somehow Mm -hmm. I'd internalized that cultural pressure, familial pressure, and religious pressure to mean God. And when I had a spiritual director uh, for about a year and a half, one of the things she taught me was like, Hey, sometimes we're serving a God that we need to fire because he's not really God. He's not Mm -hmm. the true God. He doesn't beat us over the back. He's not saying strive, 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 get it right, right, right. That is not God. He says that he is meek and lowly. And he says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And so if that's the God that we serve, if I come to him under underneath a bunch of pressure, then I need to spend time in, in his presence, allowing him to free me from those cultural, familial, and um, religious expectations so I can really know Jesus. And I think that that was very helpful. And then getting around other people who were honest also extremely helpful, you know, because I'm being honest, they're being honest. And we know like, man, this was really hard today. Totally yelled at my kid on the way to drop off. It was a rough morning. And then you realize, oh, you yell at your kids sometimes too. That's great to know. You know, (laughs) awesome. Me too. You know, and Uh I think that helped realize, oh, there's no pressure on me in my community that I'm building to be perfect. And so those are some of the things that are guideposts for me and just helpful releasers. Because when you understand context, I believe you can really grow in a way that's effective and fruitful. But if you're missing your context, then you don't have all the dynamics you need to understand in order to make changes. So context really matters. Mm, yeah. That's good. Gosh. Yeah, so much here. Like I'm yeah. trying to drink it all in. This is so good. Um, okay, we want to switch gears a little bit uh, because our question today is how can I love broken people? Mm-hmm. And so we want to get your advice on um, specifically the issue of abortion mm-hmm. um, because we know, I think the statistic is like one in four women yes. sitting in the church have had yep. an abortion. Uh, but it's, it's such a silent issue. You know, people who have had an abortion feel a lot of shame and 
really struggle with talking about it. And so my question for you is how can we love someone who has been through that? Or if, you know, someone out there listening has had an abortion, how can they love themselves? Mm. Well, I think the first thing I'll, I'll address sort of our public witness first, like I live in the city of New York. So you probably saw the news when, um, you know, we passed a bill that many people in the religious community were very, very disappointed by. And the online discourse was so shameful. I mean, I just was so embarrassed. And at the time was leading an abortion recovery group for women in the church. And so we had about 20 women who were gathering on a weekly basis for a 12-week recovery group. And we're watching people post, you know, photos of babies in the womb and baby parts. And just, I mean, I was so embarrassed and the levels of shame that they were experiencing and trauma over and over again uh, were just devastating to me. So I think one of the ways we can create space is to hold our conviction of pro-life. If you have that, I I carry that conviction of pro-life and um, hold it in a healthy and safe way. So monitor what you're saying and what comes out of your mouth and monitor what you're posting online. Because the reality is, you know, a woman who has had an abortion. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as you start doing stuff like that, she automatically knows I cannot talk to you about this. Mm-hmm. And so that that's true, whether we're talking abortion or we're talking about race or we're talking about gender inequality or whatever, you know, you pick the social issue, however you, um, operate frontward facing that determines whether you're a safe person for someone who's broken. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's really important. And if you think, well, if I met that person one-on-one, I would never act like that. Well, right. they're not going to talk to you knowing that's how you feel about it. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, your public witness is important and the church's yeah. public witness ha- has been shameful, I yes. think around the issue of abortion. Yeah. Um, And then I would say, you know, if you are a woman who has this in her past, I would say to you that personally, this was the hardest thing for me to forgive myself for. So I want Mm -hmm. you to know that you're not alone in that, Mm -hmm. that it took me a very, very long time to recognize that I could have given life, but instead I took life and to take ownership of that and responsibility of that choice was a very difficult process for me. So you're not alone. It's going to take a while and that's okay. Um, and I think it's important for you to find those safe people in your life that you can share it with, because as soon as I was able to get it out through counseling and through recovery and through my personal one-on-one relationships with others, man, it just began to remind me that God's redemption was not beyond me and that Mm -hmm. he forgives so many people. And you can look at this in scripture. There are no perfect people in the Bible and the Lord still redeemed and he's still restored and he's still called and he's still purposed people. Mm -hmm. And that gentle reminder from friends and also from God's like living word uh, was so encouraging for me to not only forgive myself, but to continue and keep going. And, you know, forgiveness is a process as much as we'd like it to be one and done. It's not. And so it's okay to just own that. It's okay to go, you know what, I might have to forgive myself again. You know, I I thought I was completely done. And then I remember um, having my first baby with my husband and having to go into um, the hospital and they asked the question on the form, is this your first pregnancy? Mm -hmm. And so my answer was not yes. My answer was no. And being in that doctor's room and processing that with my husband and recognizing like, this is my second baby. And I just took a moment to honor my first baby's life and Mm -hmm. um, let that be painful. And so I think that it it takes some time and it's okay for you to be in process with that. Absolutely. Oh, that's so good. Okay. So as we wrap up, I have one last question that I'd love for you to encourage us and encourage our listeners on. So, you know, I think we're all faced with feeling broken and feeling Mm -hmm. like we don't have a safe space to really share our truth. So I want to hear from you because Elizabeth and I are both writers. We're both speakers. So we, Mm -hmm. we both are in spaces that 
you know, we're expected to be authentic, but sometimes that is really difficult to share your story authentically because you feel like, oh no, everybody's going to look at me differently now. And Mm -hmm. I, I had a book come out last year and I shared some deeply personal stories in that, that, you know, I was like, okay, I don't want any of my close friends to read this because I don't want them to like, think I'm a crazy person, you know? And (laughs) so what, and I love that you call it holy gumption. What Mm -hmm. gave you this holy gumption to really share your story? Has it been difficult to get Mm -hmm. to that point? Do you struggle with it now that your story's out there? What does that journey look like for you? Thank you for asking that. What a powerful question. You know, I've been sharing my personal story that I shared with you guys earlier for, you know, the, the, almost the entire time I've been a Christian. And so some of that was easy to write. And then some of it was difficult because you're like, wow, it's going to be out there for everyone to to critique or, (laughs) you know, like I'm going to be sharing that I had an abortion. What does that mean in this Mm -hmm. volatile time that we're living in? What does it mean in the Me Too movement for me to talk about being sexually assaulted? You know, there's so many cultural dynamics and the church is quite divided at this time. Um, And so I think, you know, to share it authentically, you have to just own it. And I love the word gumption because it means like spirited shrewdness. And I really love that because it means I don't owe anybody anything. Mm, (laughs) It also means, you know, the book of Romans talks about that. Oh, no man, but to love him. And so my responsibility is to be obedient to God. My responsibility is not to please people or to come up under their expectations or to do right by them. I am supposed to do right by the Lord. And so I do my best to let that be the guidepost. It's like, um, everything else is going to be changing. You know, we serve, We watch Jesus and they're, um, you know, on the week before his crucifixion, you see people laying out palm branches and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And they're praising him. And a week later, what are they yelling? Crucify him, crucify him. So we have to know that we can't be moved by the crowds. And that's why I harp so hard on deep abiding relationship, because when the crowds start going wild, you have those people you can go to, to be like, man, this is hard. Can you hold me? Can you hold space for this? Can you remind me? I'm not crazy that God told me to do this. Like, I need you to remind me. And so living authentically and sharing your story doesn't mean that you owe everybody, you know, everything deep about you. It just means, hey, I'm going to be as honest as possible. And if I feel safe with you, I'd love to be vulnerable with you. But if you're not a safe person, I'm not going to do that. And in fact, I don't owe you that. Um, And so I think that's kind of how I try to have um, my life and my boundaries set up. And I read books like safe people and boundaries every single year (laughs) just to remind myself, am I still a safe person and who are safe people? And then I remind myself, what's a good, healthy boundary and how do I exercise my agency over those things? And how do I allow others to have boundaries with me? And so I think it's helpful to continue to stay in school about interpersonal relationships. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I don't ever pretend like I've arrived. Like I always need help. My seasons are always changing. And so I remind myself of that on a regular. So I hope that's helpful. (laughs) Hey, you mentioned the book boundaries, which I'm a huge fan of. Have you read the new book by Gary Thomas called when to walk away? No, but I have read, um, Dr. Henry cloud's, um, necessary endings. And I wonder, but I will, I will read that because it's a great title. You would love it. So it's all about like toxic people. And is this love person it. in your life difficult or toxic? And it, it's so, it just gives a great framework of, you know, even Jesus did not waste his time with toxic people. And he Come talks on. about how God has given us all a mission. And if we are wasting our time and energy engaging with toxic people, we don't have the time or energy to live out the mission God has given us. Ooh, come on. Yeah, so it's really, right. you would love it. I would love that. You're right. (laughs) Since we're talking about resources, we'd love for you. We always share resources on our show for our listeners, but we'd love for you. You've already shared a couple, but do you have like 
you know, maybe it's boundaries, but do you have something specific that you've maybe recently read, listened to, or watched that's really helped reframe your thinking about the world around Mm. you? Mm, Yes, I do. So I love this book called The Very Good Gospel by Lisa Sharon Harper. And she basically covers, she's an activist and an incredible Christian, amazing preacher. She's an ordained minister. She's Mm -hmm. phenomenal. And she speaks a lot within the justice spaces and speaks a lot to the culture that we're living in. Mm -hmm. And the very good gospel basically tackles the issue of justice from Revelation to Genesis. I mean, from Genesis to Revelation. And Mm -hmm. it's this idea of God giving us dominion. And what does it look like for each person to rise in the image of God on the earth? And what does it look like for us to not crush the image of God on the earth by crushing people? And so it's this really powerful, life-giving perspective on justice. And so I think I personally would highly recommend that to anyone, especially in the days that that we're living in and not having a fundamental understanding of Jesus and justice. I think that would be a really wonderful place for people to start. Yeah. That's yeah. been on my list for a while. So I'm oh, so adding good. that to the top of my list now that I've heard yeah. your recommendation. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Yeah. I follow Lisa Harper on Instagram and mm-hmm. oh, I love yeah, everything I love she's doing. She's yes, incredible. She's All right, Ashley, thank you so much for joining us today. This conversation has been a huge encouragement to me. I'm sure it has been for everybody listening. So um, we just want to say thank you for joining us. And um, we hope to have more conversations like this soon. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. You're amazing people. And it's a joy to serve your listeners. Thank you. And we want to encourage our listeners to check out Ashley's book, Rise of the Truth Teller. And we will link to that in our show notes. We live in a noisy world one that clamors and calls for our attention and lays on us demands and expectations we were never meant to carry. Now, somewhere along the way, we began to chase the urgent while missing out on what's most important. And we started to believe the lie that we hold all things together, when in fact, it's Jesus who does. As we start a new year, do you feel it in your soul, the call to a different way of living? This is why we think everyone needs a faithful life planner. The Faithful Life Planner isn't your typical planner. The goal of this planner is faithfulness over success and purposeful living over simply staying busy. This planner will not help you run faster. It will help you slow down, listen, and linger to God and walk in the plans that he has for you. Get your Faithful Life Planner at faithfulmoms.org planner and use the code for a friend for 10% off your planner. We love ours, and we know you will too. All right, what a great conversation today. I feel so encouraged by Ashley. Um, And we are, like we said in the beginning of the episode, we're going to give away a copy of her book, Rise of the Truth Teller. So all you have to do to enter to win is share the podcast in some form of social media. So maybe just share it in like Instagram stories or something and make sure you tag us so we can enter you to win a copy of her book. Now, Elizabeth, is there anything this week that you've been reading, watching, or listening to that's helping you rethink the way you look at the world? Yes. So I want to recommend this book. It's called The Body Keeps the Score. Okay. And I don't know the author off the top of my head, but I'll link to it in the show notes. In episode 16, we talked about chronic pain. And so if you are dealing with chronic pain or you know someone who's dealing with chronic pain, this would be a great book for you. It talks about basically how past trauma or 
um, difficulties, maybe a single traumatic experience like a car accident um, or maybe just a lifetime of dysfunction or trauma, how your body manifests all of that stress and anxiety and trauma and then you know, how it plays out in your life. It's really good. Wow. Okay. I need to read that. Okay. What about you? What are you reading? Okay. I just finished a book recently called Raising White Kids. Mm. And I will say it's not a like Christian book. It's just this book written by, um, by a white woman raising white kids. And she's a professor and she teaches a lot about race and things, but it's all about having good, healthy conversations with our kids about race. And it's so helpful. And I mean, she talks about like, from when they're really small and gives you good tips and kind of as the book progresses, it becomes a little deeper. And so more things to, you know, implement as your kids get older and things mm-hmm. like that. But it's, it was super helpful. Um, as you know, we, you know, everybody knows we are raising a black son and then we have three white children. And so we talk about race a lot in our house. And, but I think it's so important for people to have these conversations you know, anyways, if you have white children, it's important to have those conversations so they don't feel uncomfortable talking about race and they don't, you know, it's okay to say the wrong things, but learn how to have these conversations and implement the language into your household. And so it was a really good book. I highly recommend it. um, If you're struggling with how to have those conversations with your kids. Oh, that's really good. I definitely want that. All right. Thank you, friends. We are so excited that you joined us today as we chatted with Ashley Abercrombie, the author of the book Rise of the Truth Teller. And don't forget to enter our giveaway by posting something about the podcast, either in your stories or on your feed. So join us next week when we will be talking about soul care versus self-care. And we'll answer the question, is self-care actually good for me? Ooh, I'm excited about that. I know this is something you're really passionate about and (laughs) I'm excited to have that conversation. All right, guys, before we go, um, we would love to connect with you guys on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram at the asking pod each week. We're always posting new questions and things we're discussing on the podcast. And we always want your input. You can also connect with each of us on Instagram. I am at Kara K dot James and Elizabeth is at Elizabeth Oates underscore. And finally, keep asking questions for a friend.